How did you choose which internet service provider to use? The sad thing is most of us have very little choice because ISPs operate like monopolies in the regions they serve. They use this monopoly power to take advantage of customers, data caps, streaming throttles, the list goes on. But worst of all, many ISPs log your internet activity and sell that data to big tech companies and advertisers. To prevent ISPs from seeing my internet activity, I protect all my devices with ExpressVPN. So what is ExpressVPN? Well, it's a simple app for your computer or smartphone that encrypts all your network data and tunnels it through a secure VPN server so that your ISP can't see any of your activity. Sadly, every site you visit, video you watch, or message you send gets tracked by ISPs or other tech giants who can then sell your information for profit. That's the reason I recommend ExpressVPN as the best way to hide your online activity from your ISP. You just download the app, tap one button on your device, and you're protected. And ExpressVPN does all this without slowing your connection. That's why it's rated the number one VPN service by CNET and Wired. So stop handing over your personal data to ISPs and other tech giants who mine your activity and sell off your information. Protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep me private online. Visit expressvpn.com slash dot net. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash D-O-T-N-E-T to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash dot net right now to learn more. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, number 1724. Can you believe we've done so many freaking shows? It's a few. And only 1,723 of them are worth listening to. Oh, nice. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody was bugging me the other day on an interview about what was your worst show. And, and, you know, it's like... Pick, wait, tell me first which children child you hate the most, right? Like, wait, how wait. do you do that? Clearly, it was show three hundred. That's what I ended up on. I but I spent I spent five minutes getting to three hundred. It's like, listen, it's not it's not that we recorded a show in Montreal, drunk as skunk. It's that we published a show. We actually published <laughs> it. It was so bad. It, it wasn't. Was bad. It was bad. It, it was just a drunken brawl. That's exactly what it is. So, you know, if you get homesick for your friends and you want to feel like you're out at a bar drinking with Carl and Richard and a bunch of nerds, listen to show 300. Otherwise, there's absolutely no nutritional value. No, not a bit. Not a bit. Not a bit. Not a bit. Well, I think we'll start this thing off right with Better Know Framework. Roll the music. All right, man. What do you got? Zish. What? Zish. All right. It's called Z-Shell. Okay. But, you know, the shorthand is Z-S-H. All right. What's a Z-Shell? Well, let me read from zish.sourceforge.net. Okay. Zish is a shell designed for interactive use, although it is also a powerful scripting language. Many of the useful features of Bash, Kush, and Tkush were incorporated into Zish. Many original features were added. So, essentially, this is a script on top of Bash. Okay. And it borrows from Kish and Tish. And as is typical of Linux and Unix people as a whole, typing any more characters than you absolutely have to do is uh, anathema. Right. So, 
that's why it's it's almost like it was finish. <laughs> okay. Okay. I I have to jump in here. First of all, are you sure it's not zhush? Zhush. <laughs> Isn't that the bougie way to say it? Zhush. <laughs> I got to zhush it up a little bit. Zhushed up my bash. I zhushed my bash. But you sh- actually, if you're going to use CSH, you need to use oh my CSH, which is on top of ZSH. Although maybe it would sound better as oh my zhush. Oh my zhush. <laughs> oh my zhush. <laughs> oh, you may need a cream for that. <laughs> no, it's, it's oh. actually super awesome. When I first got my first MacBook and I was at a conference somewhere, Glenn Condren was there. We were working together in the, in the hotel uh, dining room or whatever before the conference and wait i just gonna know, say this story is gonna make this the longest better know a framework in history okay go ahead go ahead okay Continue. sorry anyway i he saw me just you know using bash painfully because i was just learning how to use my mac and right. he said oh my god oh my zsh oh my shush he, he, so yeah i got so, it from so him anyway tell awesome. me what the experience is like other than i mean uh, is it like easier for dos people or something or What's the well, for, for me, it just, it was easier because I was just learning how to use a Mac and mm. I've never used bash and, and all of that. So like, uh, what's that other guy named that you're talking to? Oh yeah. Richard, um, <laughs> uh, like Richard, <laughs> like Richard said, I haven't been drinking. I promise. Like Richard said, you know, just typing, you know, three characters is enough. It just yeah. does the work the rest of the work for you and okay. you know tab and it's got like intellisense built in so it's it like kush with intellisense or, or yeah, shush. Just, just, shush. gives you a little shush oh my shush <laughs> all right well there you go from somebody who uses zish it's oh my zish <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry is that a uh, a shell extension on top of a shell extension for a shell yes yes <laughs> okay yeah so it's cubed yeah. Shell cubed. Shell cubed. <laughs> All right. Shell cubed. <laughs> it's funny. I've been I, I've been bashing for Home Assistant, which is the home automation li- that has Linux under the hood, and so I've actually been writing Git commands in in Bash. So that's hilarious. I, I should get this extension. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should. I should. <laughs> you should. I think you no. Know, I think you should put another extension on top of it and call it bougie. <laughs> Bougie, yes. That's it. It will fully be there. Well, if Bash ever incorporates Zish into it, you could call it Bouge. Nice. Or Bash. Anyway, that's what I got, Richard. Who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment off of show 1481, which is a couple of shows back with Julie, because we've got, I think this is number 16, Mm -hmm. so this is from number 14, which is the one we did in London at the Prognet Conference. Right. Back in 2017, when the world existed, uh, talking about uh, EF Core 2, when we're going to oh. move, move on <laughs> past that. Actually, there was a bunch of great comments on this show, uh, but the, the one I grabbed, the one that was upvoted like 30 times was from Dylan Borg. And admittedly, this is from three years ago. Hmm. He said, EF6 runs on Linux when using Mono. I've been using it against Postgres SQL, and recently the Mono team has incorporated CoreFX SQL client code, which will make using EF6 with SQL Server, again, from Linux, possible. Which is amazing. And also, three years ago, this is before SQL, SQL Server for Linux shipped. Like, there's just so much that's happened in the intervening times. But, 
you know, already in 2017, there was some pretty great Linux action going on. Oh yeah, and just as a as a side note, um, EF6 now runs on top of .NET Core. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So. So yeah. Core can, five, I presume. Actually, uh, it started with .NET Core three. Oh, nice. Yeah. Even better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the the whole all of these libraries sort of coming together nicely and and playing with each other in a great way. So Dylan, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Muse to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Muse to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks. We publish every show there as well. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Muse to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter if you haven't done so already. Uh, he's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet and we'll zhuzh it up for you. <laughs> better than bashing it i'll give you that <laughs> yes, I promise true. promise i won't bash it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, anyway that uh, other voice you heard is that of our good friend julie lerman uh she is a microsoft regional director docker captain and a longtime microsoft mvp who now counts her years as a coder in decades she uh, most so. women don't brag about their age But she makes her living as a coach and consultant to software teams around the world. And you can find Julie presenting on entity framework, domain-driven design, and other topics at user groups and conferences around the world. Uh, Julie blogs at thedatafarm.com slash blog. She's the author of the highly acclaimed Programming Entity Framework books, the MSDN Magazine Data Points column, and popular videos on Pluralsight. Follow her on Twitter at Julie Lerman. Welcome back, And I'll shush you up, too. <laughs> mm. I only learned about so, this term from cooking shows, and I think it was like uh, one of those Anne Burrell Worst Cooks in America or something like that. And, you know, these celebrities were on there, and there was some fabulous people, and one of them said they were going to zhuzh up their sauce. And I was like, what the, the heck is that? Like, I'm not – that. That's not the vernacular that comes around in the Franklin household all the time. It's bash cubed. But, yeah. It just means, you know, <laughs> deck it out, glitz it up. So, I was listening to read my ridiculously long bio and realized I need to edit out all that stuff that says around the world. Yes. Well, you none know, of us are doing that around right the internet. now. You're still going around the world just from your couch. Yeah. Yeah. Or from your desk or through your camera. We're all getting more comfortable staring at cameras lately, haven't we? Yeah, I'm staring at two right now. Well, do you stare at the camera or do you look at how you look in the camera? Well, <laughs> I, I, I was talking to somebody about that one day and they said they had read an article that said that that's actually what people mostly do. They're like constantly they look you know, like looking in the mirror hmm. because they want to know what other people are seeing. If you ever right. see somebody on a whatever, you know, on a camera, on TV or whatever, because even, you know, TV is using Skype and Zoom and all these things now, you can see people's eyes switching back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And what they're really doing is going between who they're talking to and themselves. And, you know, there's that little delay that happens. Like you can't actually see yourself looking at somebody else, right? So you switch and then you get like this microsecond where you're looking at the other person and then you're looking at yourself. So... It's kind of funny. Yeah, it's really weird. I mean, I don't think of myself as being, you know, somebody who needs to look at myself in the mirror all the time. But I, it's part of it, I think, is just, you know, when I make sure 
you're, you know, that's me. <laughs> spinach in your teeth or whatever. <laughs> Make sure you don't grow horns. <laughs> what? <laughs> Damn it. The horns are back. Ah. Ooh, not like last time. The worst. The worst. Julie, I got to tell you, I've been using Entity Framework Core now for ever since it came out. And I love it. And I think, Isn't it great? I think I'm using it more for the, um, the scaffolding of, you know, data access framework than I am actually, I'm, I'm definitely not doing any tracking. I'm turning right. all that stuff off yep. and it just doesn't seem like that is, and we talked about this before. It doesn't seem like tracking and web backend sort of go together in the same sense. Yeah. You can actually, um, and you, I'm sure you know this by now. Um, this is actually something I'd asked. I, I personally had like put as a, a, a request years ago, but now you can just create, define a, um, a co DB context as no tracking so that it doesn't right. track, right? Because yep. it doesn't make sense to waste all the effort on creating all of the assets in memory that it has to for tracking. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we we talked. Do you remember when we talked about Blazor and the DB Context Factory a while back? Because mm. you were having an issue with um, uh, the context lifetime, right? It, yeah. it wasn't going away, and it was a it was a problem. And and then I I googled it and found a document on uh you know in in docs.microsoft.com that mm. talked about dealing with this. So I don't know. So. And, and gave guidance, right? And I right. pointed you to that. You're like, oh, cool. Okay, yep. it's just what I need. Yep. But it meant that you had to create your own DB context factory and, mm. and write all this code. So I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the ASP.NET Core team and then EF Core team got together and came up with a simpler way of implementing it. So it's still creating a, a DB context factory and then you use dependency injection to get that into your controller or wherever you're making your calls. Your is that like, razor pages is that like I had a sync problem, so I used Entity Framework, and now I have a sync problem factory? <laughs> well, not really, because, because the, the factory just brings along with it all the dependencies, the metadata that you need about uh, the connection string right, and right. the provider and things like that. Yep. But the, but the factories, does, the factory doesn't cost you anything, really. Right. So it just enables you to uh, spin up the DB context on the fly as needed. Isn't it just an inversion of control container, really? I mean, it's... Yeah. Like, yeah. So, but what they did was they made it, uh, they just gave us a method called add, you know, we're in uh, startup in an ASP.NET Core mm. app where you add um, a DB context to the services. Yes. With dot add, you know, services dot add DB context. Mm -hmm. Well, for Blazor now, there's a new method that, well, they, for the sake of s helping with Blazor, they added a new method to that extension, which is add DB context factory. So you just easily, because before everybody was using, you know, figured out, okay, we got to use the DB factory, but you had to implement all this stuff on your own. Right. So now it's just add DB context factory pass in you know the provider name and the the uh connection string or whatever you know whatever configuration you want right and and then you can instantiate the db context as needed in your app 
and and the DB Context Factory brings along all those configurations for you. Nice, I love it. That's great. <laughs> in the right in the docs, it says using a DB Context Factory, e.g., for Blazor. Yep, <laughs> exactly. So the funny part was I had never written. I had never touched Blazor before. Like I got enough, you know, things to learn and everything. And everybody sure. was like Blazor madness everywhere. So I was like, oh, let all those other people do it. Because, you know, I'm not building front ends or anything anyway. But I thought it was important enough and I wanted to write about it in an article I was writing, you know, for Code Magazine, a whole kind of what's new. Mm. So I had, to, you know, I had to understand the problem that it was solving. Right. Right. Not just say oh use this right and and so it really kind of forced me to understand a lot better what was going on you know what blazer is all about right, so yeah. it was just ass backwards i guess i've done 32 blazer train episodes now or 33 and the last one i did on pwas so you know blazer makes it easy for you to create a progressive web app in WebAssembly, right but what they don't tell you is how to do your own caching Right. You'll, you'll get the, uh, there's like a list of files with extensions that you can put in the cache, but it doesn't mean they're going to go into the cache. For example, um, MP3 files. If I play with the player, you know, like an audio tag and I play something with a URL that goes to an MP3, even if I specify that I want to cache MP3s just in the service worker, it's not going to put them in the cache you actually have to put it in the cache yourself. So I wrote some JavaScript code to, to do that in, uh, you know, in JavaScript and called that right from, you know, from C sharp and blazer and then JavaScript reports back, like as it's playing, I basically did a music to flow by music to code by app demo app. And mm, so it cool. works as a progressive web app and it works offline and I'm um, using local storage to get the initial data, JSON data for the page and then caching the audio files. And it works great. Why, why would it say, okay, you're adding this to the cache, these kind of, you know, extensions to the cache, but then it doesn't do it. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I, I'm not sure. I think maybe it's just the way that the MP3s are processed in the in, in the player i'm not sure actually it's like too too cumbersome or something all like I that all i know is that it didn't work unless i right. <laughs> <laughs> which is you know, need to know why that's how most of this stuff works right you know oh no that doesn't work i had to write some extra code well why tack if i know i just know that uh <laughs> it didn't work these before. are the rituals we need to do to get results that's so right with, what, what do you want what do you want until somebody comes around and says uh, you know, if you just flip that Boolean, you don't have to write all that code, Boomer. <laughs> okay, Boomer. <laughs> Do you smell beard oil? <laughs> Your grandma called. She wants her sweater back. Well, at least you didn't want my database contacts back. That's something. But um, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, Entity Framework. Yeah. Yeah, well, EF Core. EF Core 5. E EF strikes again. You know, I was talking to somebody, and it occurred to me that I had no idea literally how many versions of Entity Framework have been around because yeah. 
they keep screwing around with the numbers. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was looking at your show list. It's like, hey, last show we did was EF Core three. Now it's time to do EF Core five. Everybody skipped right over four. Like, did I miss a show? No, <laughs> there was no four. <laughs> and every time I do a talk about this sort of stuff, I always say, because numbers are hard. <laughs> numbers are hard. But I figured out not you know counting just major versions. There have been eight versions of Entity Framework. The first one was released in 2008. Mm-hmm. So that's, mm-hmm. wow. numbers are hard, but that's numbers 13, you know, really 12 years, right? Because it's just the beginning of 2011. Well, and I had gotten the sense, I, I had gotten the rumor they were going to build an ORM back in 2006. And I was feeling around for who was working on it because I wanted to have shows in the can to to start talking about this, right? And that is also where the all that's when the end hibernate mafia appeared that became alt.net and all of that craziness too. We ended up in the middle of all of that for better or worse. Do you know that entity framework was there was Microsoft's third attempt at an ORM? No. Not uh, not accounting link to SQL. Yeah, link say. to SQL wasn't it an attempt link to no. SQL <laughs> was was a thing. Yeah. But I hadn't really even paid attention there, but there had been two. Don't even ask me. I should find out. Yeah, no, what are the names of the other two? Were called. I can't remember, but there were two other times when, like, it, all the data was being done, like, in the SQL team, mm, SQ, right. like, SQL server team back then. And apparently, there had they had kind of said, oh, we're doing an ORM twice and hadn't been released. So, with Entity Framework, so I saw it. Um, in 2006 at Tech Ed in Boston, that was the year that I wasn't a speaker, but I was staying, I was sharing a room with Kate Gregory, who was speak, a speaker, and they mm-hmm. had a fire alarm in the speaker hotel at two o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Remember that? <laughs> that was a very memorable Tech Ed. That was the one with the camera, <laughs> make a face and pass it on. Right. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> and I was, everybody. Everybody made a pretty face, and I made an ugly face. No. You said it to your mother. Everybody made an ugly face. I basically had a can. This was before phone cameras. I had a digital camera. I said, "Take a a photo of yourself making a face and pass it on." And it went around the table, and all these great people. Oh, this was a different one. All these great people took of- took photos of themselves, like making a sticking their tongue out or whatever. Right. Yeah. Funny, and I made. I, turned I, a blog, I remember turned you doing it in New Orleans because <sighs> it. I don't. It wasn't a, at a table. It was just at like some party. Oh, okay. oh my gosh, the travels, the life, the jet-setting lifestyle, right. Boston. Remember Orleans. that? <laughs> remember travel? Remember going outside? Remember travel? Do you remember flying? Oh, that was so much fun. <laughs> flying. Yeah. Okay. That's, 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 that's Wi-Fi doesn't work, <laughs> but you know the miracle of flight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I remember the first time, this is going to turn into, you know, three old people talking here. <laughs> okay. I remember the work. first time that I discovered that you could get Wi-Fi on a flight. Like, I was blown away. And I, I think I tweeted it and somebody, it was like, okay, Boomer. Somebody said, yeah, welcome to 1999 or something. <laughs> <laughs> and it was well into the 2000s before. Like, maybe I just didn't ask or I didn't know or I didn't look. But I was blown away. You're in a chair in the sky. In the sky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> That's such a great bit. Yeah. And nobody's happy. Right. 
So they never made a four, but they have made a five synchronized with .NET 5, just to make life, in theory, easier, unless you and try that, and count the numbers. The funny part of that is with Entity Framework, not Core, but EF, we went from EF directly to EF4 to align with .NET Framework 4. Right. So there's some kind of synchronicity there, right? They skipped four this time. Yeah, well, and in that sense, sort of made sense that EF4 is not the core version. Although I'm thinking about the comment from Dylan too. It's like these days, it doesn't matter whether you're a core version or not. It runs on different platforms. It's been open source for a while. Yeah, Yeah. but, uh, you know, a lot of people were, uh, there was this whole concern about keeping core with EF and with ASP.NET Mm. because .NET was, .NET framework or .NET core was dropping core. Mm -hmm. But EF to me, EF core and ASP.NET core speak to the fact that these are completely different platforms. I mean, they, they work similarly in a lot of ways, but you know, I'm, I'm using, you, you need to differentiate it from previous entity framework. Mm. So is there a philosophical difference between the two types of entity framework? Oh yeah. So they completely rewrote it from scratch. Yeah. Um, and you know, modern programming, uh, way modern coding styles, um, you know, practices, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, that was a really big deal because EF6 really was based on the original code base from like 2006. Um, And it was really hard for them to evolve it in the directions that they wanted to evolve. So that was one piece of it. And then the other was, it's also open source, right? It goes with .NET Core. Mm, Yes. So they were able to make it open source. So I don't mean open source. I mean, cross-platform. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Different thing. EF6 also actually important. was open source. Also yeah. I was going to say like, before the rest was. Well, and it's part of part of the history of .NET. To me, this is a major inflection point inside of Microsoft is when they took what was previously a closed source product with several versions shipped mm. and made it into an open source product, which was to disencumber it. There's a lot word for you uh, from the patents and legal restrictions that existed around it. And when they, when they, it took them months and the process is crazy, but when they got it done, it was like a lightning bolt went through the company because it was like, wait, you mean I could take existing code and make it open source? Like I don't have to just write new code. Mm. And then the demand to do that went way up and they actually simplified the process. But it was like, it was the EF folks that took the beating of, uh, of what was purely an internal legal set of rules to to get to that point and open the door to what transformed the way they thought about their their products. Yep. Not that I have a strong opinion about any of this. Totally agree. Uh, You know, I didn't realize that there there was any involvement of all of the legal stuff and, you know, all of these, uh, what are they, what are they called? Those people who try to find holes and patents and, Richard Campbell's lawyers. You know, they, they create they create pat, patent trolls. That's what yeah. it, they create these really broad patents and then just wait for you know somebody like Microsoft to release some technology. I actually had a call from some law firm in Pennsylvania years ago. I was already living in Vermont though. Any framework was already out, and they were dealing with one of these pat, patent troll suits that 
had that reference entity framework. They were going after Microsoft for entity framework. And these two of the lawyers came up and I spent an afternoon just giving them a really high level understanding of what entity framework was so that they could use that information to help with the, um, with a lawsuit. It's interesting. In, yeah. in my experience, patent trolls don't go after the tech giants because the tech giants have more money and more lawyers and they will win. Mm-hmm. They go after little people that they can squeeze 50 grand out of right. be, rather than pay for the money to le- to lawyer up and try and fight stuff. Like they, they call them trolls for a reason. It's, it's really quite horrible. Although the business of patent trolling seems to be much less profitable these days. And you just don't see much of it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's still out there. The, it, you know, the Electronic Frontier Foundation talks about it all the time. Mm-hmm. It feels to me same as the, the kind of people who would like, like in the early days of the World Wide Web, went and just bought as many domain names yeah, as they domain could. Domain squatters. <laughs> Same kind of thing. It's like, I don't have yeah. a good idea, except that you might value this at some time. So I'm going to grab that up. Yeah. Yeah. But I, and it's not that the patent trolling doesn't exist anymore. I can certainly bring, you know, again, the links to the EFF, but that they don't, they seem not to be going after the tech biz because of the, you know, the side effect of patent trolls was that you had the Apples and the Googles and the Facebooks and the Microsofts and, and all these big companies all cross licensed to each other. So if you try to attack any of them, mm. you're attacking all of them. Hmm. And it just became, in the end, patent trolling is about making money off of accusing people of things that may or may not be true and are complicated enough that it's just not worth dealing with. It's easier to pay them off, right? right? It's extortion. Right. You can't extort these guys, so what's the point? Well. Bragging rights? (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo, congratulations. Uh, Well, the lawyers win. (laughs) Yes, the lawyers always win. Lawyers always win. Inevitably. Think of it like gambling against the house. That, you know, I just I and I just had to take a peek in there of what's going on in the EFF on the patent troll side. It's like, oh look, a patent troll suing a company making ventilators during a pandemic. There's a good idea. Oh. This is the same level of scumbag of ransomware attacks on hospitals during a pandemic. Oh, oh, we had a big one here. Yeah, big. They they took out um, the you know Vermont University of Vermont Medical Center that they. Well, it was big. We don't know really the details of it, but, you know, that the hospital and everybody, you know, going in and out of there really suffered for a long time. They were doing, they had to do like paperwork with real paper Mm. for a while. Yeah, no, it is, you know, seriously scummy behavior. But getting back to Entity Framework. Yeah, we should. We should. But first we should want to take a break. We could take a break now. Yeah, let's take a pause. a good time to take a break. All right. If you've had automating your ASP.NET deployments on your to-do list, now's a great time to give Octopus Deploy a try. The Starter Edition lets you install Octopus on your own infrastructure and deploy to IIS web servers, Azure websites, and pretty much anything from Node to Kubernetes, and they just made it free for small teams. Give your team a single place to release, deploy, and operate software with Octopus Deploy. Find out more at octopus.com. And we're back. This is .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Hey, man. We're chatting with our friend Julie Lerman, which we don't get to do often enough, clearly. Mm. So part of, part of this conversation is I was just catching up with each other, too. But I did want to set the context around the fact that, like, EF6, while open source, is kind of the end of the road for that incarnation of Entity Framework. Like they're, not, they're never going to abandon it. It's a maintained piece of software. But there's not an EF7 in the works. 
Right. Right. Which is not a bad thing because they are trying to consolidate around. The, I know they're getting rid of the name core, but it's like .NET 5 is the version of .NET going forward. Most of the bits from all of the other stacks are going with, you know, with some notable exceptions, sorry, web forms and WCF and and a few others, but any frameworks there, but it's the new bytes that are, that are different that support these new development models. Like that, that they, they're savvy to dependency injection and, mm. and all of those kinds of constraints. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Hell> yeah. <laughs> it's all good. I mean, you're, you're like sequel God guru, Julie, um, no. you ever, no, 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 no yes, not you are. You're, you're, you, the data farm. Come on. Your data. You've been about data since long time ago. You and Richard. Um, other stores with Entity Framework other than SQL. What do you know about that? Oh, plenty of them. Um, just, just to make you go, what? Uh, how about Cosmos DB? <laughs> A non-relational database, right? No SQL. Yeah. Document database, uh, but I, I'm going to pull back from that a little bit. Okay. There, so the team, the NA Framework Core team, takes care of uh, SQL Server, SQLite, um, and also the in-memory provider. So that's not for a database. That's more for doing some basic testing where you don't really need to worry about uh, the real workings of of a database. Right. Uh, but there are tons of third-party uh, providers. Some of them are, you know, just community-driven, like the ones that my good friend, who apparently I still don't pronounce his name correctly, even though I thought I finally got it nailed, which is Eric Eric EJ on uh, on on is is his social media. Eric Eilskov Jensen. He's uh, he's uh, Danish. Um, so he writes the SQL CE provider. He also has written the some of the amazing extensions, um, like the Entity Frame EF Core Power Tools extension for Visual Studio. He took over the original EF Power Tools mm -hmm. extension, um, SQL CE SQL Lite extension for Visual Studio and SQL Server. So he's he's written the SQL CE. Um, there's another one from the community for PostgreSQL. And as a matter of fact, the guy who was behind that now works on the Entity Framework team. Wow. <laughs> Shira Jansky. Yeah. Cool. So, so there's a bunch like that. and But there's also commercial ones. Like, mm -hmm. um, well, D like DB2 is all. DB2. So this is interesting. I actually had to look into DB2 a little bit for a client I was talking to. I didn't have to do any of the work, but I was just curious about it because they use SQL Server and they use DB2. And the only DB2 providers are actually from IBM, but they have the different flavor. There's like different flavors of DB2. So there's a number of different providers. Oracle creates a provider for Oracle, but there's also a couple of commercial providers for Oracle. Oh. Like DevArt has a, a number of providers that they create. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, or DevArt also makes one for MySQL as well. Although it's yeah. funny. It's like, wait, I have a free database you, with a free ORM, but I got to pay for the driver in between like that. Well, seems you know, somebody's doing the work. Right. I guess that's true. They're paying people's salaries. Like I, I, I 
Because there is an open source one version of it as well. The question is, is the paid one that much better? Well, one thing I know, well, I don't know about my sequel. One thing I know is they're usually a little ahead of Oracle in getting the Oracle provider out. Oh, for sure. sure. Yeah. Now I would, Um, you know, and there's no way you own a free copy of Oracle at any time. So I don't, (laughs) I'm not surprised. You know, Oracle still has the old licensing model. How much money do you have? Right. Uh, (laughs) So what I I love is the fact that now, thanks to, uh, you know, things like Docker, I can just go from one machine to another and just keep using all the same tools and all the same databases. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, if I'm working on my Mac, I don't necessarily, you know, I'm working on my Mac, but I'm working on something where I know it's going to go into production with SQL Server. I really want to do, you know, my testing with SQL Server, Mm. right? So, and I could do that. So, and it doesn't have to be, you know, it can still be local DB, but I love, I love that I can do that. And, and even for those that, remember that, that travel thing we were talking about, like when you're traveling, I like picking up my tiny little MacBook, you know, (laughs) and I could just do everything on my Mac. I don't have to, I don't have to, uh. Say, oh, I can only use MySQL or SQLite because I'm on my MacBook. So I really like being able to do that. Have you done any projects pushing out to Cosmos DB? Like, I know it's it's, it's not for real production, yeah. just you know explorations. So the you know the the big question is why do you need to use an ORM for something that's not relational? Yeah. Like it's something that's documents. And the real reason for this with Entity Framework is the people who have been using Entity Framework and are really experienced with it and now need to use Cosmos DB for, you know, need to, want to, for one reason or another, mm. they're just saying, oh, I don't want to have to learn another API. Right. Why can't I just use the one I already know how? Right. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. The only downside is, um, you know, that but with any technology, the shooting yourself in the foot by just assuming just because I can use Entity Framework with it, it's going to work right. the way all my relational databases work. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So I think it's really important for people to uh, make sure they understand, you know, about modeling um, with document databases and how Entity Framework does the interaction, how it persists the data, um, how you can control it, what you want it to do, what you don't want it to, right? And and with something like Cosmos DB, you're also using it because you've got lots and lots of data, right? You're not going to be using it. I, you know, I'm just building demoware with it, right? Yeah. So I might have like five records. <laughs> yeah, five when, and when those right. get big, I mean, right. and it right. works and, both and ways. And then the right. modeling is really important, right? right? Your, yeah. The collections are really important and, and how you're splitting things up. And, right. you know, so I just, that's the only thing is I, I totally get it. Um, you know, it's like, oh, I can, you know, I can use Cosmos now because I can use EF Core. But you should really understand how Cosmos DB is working and and about modeling and you know pros, not just pros and cons, but just just understanding the differences and and uh, what 
the impact of different things are. You know, we, we ran into this with Link too, right? As long as you're using Link, Link against SQL, it, it was not a big deal. But as soon as you tried to use like the XML provider or any of those other abstractions, you right away you're like, hey, just reminding you, mm. you're not talking to a database. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, a, you know, I guess the, the same with um, using the in-memory provider with Entity Framework Core. Mm -hmm. That's fair. For building, you know, unit or integration tests. In, in, integration tests if you're, you know, integrating with EF Core, not specifically integrating with a database, right? But there's so many limitations there. It's really awesome, but the, it's really important also to understand that, you know, it's just lists in memory and there's a point at which you need to test against your database right? because you need to make sure things are working the way they ought to be working. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's very fair that you can definitely fool yourself with that stuff. And it just hit me that, well, as soon as I said that, it's like, I have not queried XML in a long time, and I am a happier person. I am so oh, yeah. happy. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. I, 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 I actually remember. You get something where you have to parse XML. And yeah, there are good tools cool. in there, but... Nah. I just asked somebody else to do it. And I actually got good at X, XML, XL, XSLT, right? Like I was getting good at transformations and it was, it was modifying my mind in a way I was not entirely comfortable with. And, and then fortunately the project ended and nobody else ever asked me to do that again. And I got to let it go. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the early days with Entity Framework, remember the, the EDMX was all XML. And then if you wanted to, customize how transformations worked um, and how it went into the database, you had to, what was it? Oh, for um, revert, like right, the reverse engineering. We have to stop this useless reverie right now. <laughs> oh, it stops God. right now. <laughs> yeah, I just want to solve business problems. Right. I yeah. don't want to query XML. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm... Once you get to used to link and, and the where and the filter and all of that stuff, it's just, why didn't I ever use this before? Do you remember the, the first time you were trying to explain that to somebody else? Like, how did we code before link? Right. Mm. That's true. But A lot of loops. The, 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 the question I have then is the clarity of link. Like, when you go back to that big link expression, do you understand what it does? Yeah, I hope so. Well, how big is your link expression? Or is that root? I guess I, I guess it is. You, you're twisting your link expression into some piece of insanity. And this is no different. Yeah, I've written SQL queries that when I finished writing it, I didn't know what it did. Well, yeah, everybody yeah, has yeah. done that. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm sure you can twist up. You certainly can twist up link to the point where it's like, this is not the clearest way to do this. Yeah. Well, if you, but the thing is, is link is just sort of self-editing, right? If you find that you have a link statement that has this clause and that clause and so many things and stuff, maybe you ought to split it up a little bit. Maybe that right. set is too big. Exactly. But don't wait, don't uh, talk too much about that because this is part of my consulting business. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, fly there to just call Julie. Like, well, you've got, you know, a 700 line link query with 47 includes in it. Like, <laughs> yeah, we could do better. Or, yeah, I wonder. Or, hey, how about a stored procedure? How about a view? Yeah. <laughs> database view. Let's like, go back you don't to the database. have to use, and you don't have to ask Entity Framework to 
create all Julie, your sequel I've got for a you. new I've got a new domain name for you. Ready? <laughs> JulieTheUnfucker.com. Excuse me. <laughs> You're going to have to beep that. I of think, course yes. we will. But that's yeah. a good one. They've been calling me the unfucker at my current gig now because it's just, uh, I've gotten really good at spotting problems and fixing them. And that's, yeah. that's what you do with Link. But it's always yeah. the same complaint, right? Why is this so slow? This technology is terrible. Right. I mean, oh, I... Uh, I get so mad when people do that yeah. <laughs> or then they start ragging on it, uh, like on the team, right? Yeah. Oh, they're so stupid. Like learn how to use your tools, yeah. dude. Or do that. I don't want to yeah. always say that. Well, you yeah. know, speaking of that website that you were talking about and uh, they, they, the role of kind of, you know, coming in and spotting, you know, using your experience to spot those problems and untangle them. I actually, I, I was doing this funny quiz show that somebody in the DD, domain-driven design community was doing for Christmas. And one of the categories was code smells. And I just, you know, I just stank up on that one <laughs> again and so I, i'm not doing this like every single day but i'm going to keep going through it so i've got followers refactoring book on my desk and i'm doing on twitter a code smell review so i'm doing one just going through the chapter mm -hmm. one at a time and saying okay here's the next code smell here's its name and then just you know what you can fit into 280 <laughs> into a tweet just a little you know highlight of what that code smells about and and you know what you should do about it yeah so it's really just you know you know these things it's just it was more about the names like you know naming naming things is hard but also memorizing the names of things is hard too yeah <laughs> getting the glossary of the project you're on right especially when you're doing that context switching and hopping between projects like and then some of the names overlaps like well what do you mean when you say customer Oh, well, let's, let's talk about domain-driven design then. You put a language <laughs> and bound it in context. That was a really good – was that just a softball, Richard? That was a meatball. <laughs> you know, I, I got a soft spot for you, Julie. You know that. Yeah. We, uh, can, we can talk about porting from EF6 over to EF Core if you want because that's certainly on people's minds. Yeah. Well, you know, I haven't done anything like – I haven't done it uh, with – the latest versions of EF core, right. but you know, the really, I think the most important thing to understand is the basics of how it works mm -hmm. is the same. Like a, you still have a DB context with DB sets. It still has mappings, mm -hmm. right. And, and all of that language still works and you still have change tracking, right. It's just that we've got, so within there, some of the behavior will, has changed a little bit from, from EF6, you know, so you have to be careful. You, you know, you know what's going on when you call dot add or, you know, or, or save changes or whatever. Right. Just, uh, there's, you know, some change, some things have changed. But what's really interesting, especially as we get into EF core five now is they're closer and closer to having parity yeah. with features from EF6 and, Parity feature with EF6 is one of the goals for EF Core 6, like to just finish it up. That so would be good timing because the numbers are going to. That's right. There's more synchronicity. <laughs> yeah. So this time around, the most important that like the 
biggest thing that we got finally from EF6 was many to many support. Many to many relations. In EF core five, we got that. In EF core five, exactly. But they, you know, people are like, well, you know, you had it. You had it since EF1 in 2008. Why can't you just bring it over? Well, they didn't want to just bring it over and copy the code of how it worked before because there were a lot of limitations. Mm -hmm. So they really rethought, rethought about how it worked under the covers. Nice. And, and re, you know, it's a completely different way that it works underneath the covers. Mm. But on the surface, you know, you've got that just easy thing where you say, you know, uh, a book can have many authors and an author can write many books. Right. Yeah. And you don't have to do anything else in there. Right. But if you want to do, if you want that many to many relationship to be more interesting, it's supported now. Whereas in EF6, it's like, nope. Can't, you know, in entity framework, plain, you know, EF6 back to the beginning. That was, it was just that one scenario that was supported. So because of, because of rethinking it and having a different foundation to work from and, and just taking their time to, you know, focus on more important features. When I say that, I don't mean many to many was not, is not important. As a matter of fact, it becomes for me like the most interesting thing. Mm-hmm. It, because it's so fascinating how it works now in EF Core 5. Yeah. Um, so it was always important, but with EF Core and EF Core 2 and EF Core 3, there was, an, there was a way to implement many-to-many relationships. We just didn't have the beauty of the skip navigations, which we always wanted back. So I think that's the biggest thing with respect to parity from EF6. Another one that... Uh, is high on a lot of people's list wasn't on mine, but table per type hierarchies like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) again, you know, for the people who use it, it's really, really important. So, but that, that's, it was a smaller group, which is why they're like, we can't get to, you know, we've got more important things we need to do for a broader base of users. Yeah. I, I I can't think of where I'd use table per type mapping. Like I, I see that it's there. Uh, the samples are there. I'm like, I don't have this problem. I don't think I have this problem. It can create, I've seen actually, you know, once again, uh, this was, I got a really good consulting gig Hmm. because of how somebody had used table per type mapping with, I think it was like the very first version of, of entity framework. And And they were uh, in trouble or it was working great for them. Big trouble, big performance problem because, they were using table per type to have like the base type, the type that everything was deriving from was a mm-hmm. type they were using for audit trail stuff, mm. oh, date created so per, you know, user who created it. And then every single other entity, every single, every one of the entities in their, any, every one of the entities in their domain inherited from this thing right so they wanted to find out like what did john doe change on you know january 3rd because of how the mappings work entity framework had no idea which one of those derived tables it's going to be in wow so it had to go search all like 200 tables to get back 
one piece of scalar data and it was taking two minutes. It was two minutes. Why do you, yeah. And this is just a, a backwards way to think about it, right? You, you want this as a log that comes post-transactional, like it doesn't have to be synchronous. It doesn't have, and you know, if you're not going to query that information that often, like it doesn't need to be that synchronous. You can back, back into that. Right. So unfortunately the other big mistake that had been made was somebody like some team had created this big model to be used by every department and mm -hmm. team in, in the company. Cause I was like, this model is terrible. You need to change it. They're like, we can't, no there's way. too much. And then I said, well, you know, you could just replace that query with a stored procedure and call the stored procedure from entity mm. framework. They're like, Oh really? So the DBA came back a half an hour later. He was practically crying. He said, it takes nine milliseconds. <laughs> nine milliseconds. <laughs> like that's why they flew me to Switzerland. Yeah. Business to say class. that statement, that <laughs> sentence. <laughs> like, hey, Literally. I'll, char I'll charge you a half price and send it in an email. You can make that a stored procedure. <laughs> And and on top of that, I got I got an article out of it, nice. which is basically, for the love of God, don't do this. But you know, once upon a time when we didn't have these ORM layers, we were writing a lot of store procedures, arguably too many. Many of them super simple and a waste of time that made it hard to manage your database because there were zillions of these store procedures. No BBAs could keep up, so you ended up with these sort of SQL devs that were also contributing code, and they had too many privileges in the database, so it created its own set of problems. But it doesn't mean you go completely the other way, right? It's like, okay, we're this is too much. We'll create this abstraction layer so that you can deal with all these simple queries. But then we have to do it for everything. Like the fact that you can simply go and then you can use a store procedure where you need them. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Um, who who was it on the entity framework team? I quoted him in my book. He's my friend, and he's mm -hmm. been off the team for so long. His name is just. Whoosh, over my head, but I love you, you know. Anyway, he said, just like with code, just write it the easiest way you can make it work, then look at the performance and look at the places where it's not performing right. well, and then go fix those, right? Yeah. So let Entity Framework, Entity Framework Core, do its job and where you don't like where it's doing its job, you know, profile, just go and, you know, Take either maybe maybe you can write a better query or maybe you could use a stored procedure or a view or you know something else and you almost certainly can right you always were able to it's just that when you had to do it for everything it was too much to manage right but people didn't realize you know i i still do this i did it did a presentation to a company the other day where you know there's there's like well, I think 200 invited 80 showed up, but there was a lot of DBAs there and mm -hmm. they're, they're talking about moving like their, their QA, that QA, uh, quality control people who are like really in charge of, you know, this is the kind of technology we're going to be using. They really want to bring people over to using entity framework because they're on .NET already anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of my job was really to, you know, hearing, uh, when I talked to some of these people in advance and what I really pulled out of there was, you know, there's DBAs, you're going to get, you know, we're getting pushback from the DBAs. 
Um, and so, you know, my goal was just really to, I'm not there to convince people, right? I don't work for Microsoft. I'm not making any money because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just making sure they have the right information. So a lot, I was talk, just saying, uh, highlighting a lot of these kinds of things. Like you can use your stored procedures. You can, you know, you can intercept, uh, you know, commands getting sent to the database and and modify them you know and add you can add uh query hints you can you know you can do all that stuff you can right. you know you can have that level of control that's not always the most obvious thing about any framework because you know getting started right you want to just yeah. look at the high level stuff well, and how easy it is you're also asking the dbas to talk to developers which is its own level of crazy right there <gasps> Well, they're used to just saying no, and now they don't. Now they actually got to hey, hey, wait, we we could do this a different way. Let me write some code for you, which is kind of nuts. And what I also did, I've done it in many talks, like at conferences, whenever I talk to developers, and I talked, I mentioned this when I was giving this presentation the other day, that I that I always tell developers, you know, let Entity Framework create the SQL, whether it's a SQL to generate the schema of the database or it's SQL for doing queries, and then take that SQL Go get a big bag of M and M's. <laughs> go to the GBA and say, "Can can you you know tell me what you think about this? How can we make it better?" Yeah, right. Please, uh, the, the, please. There was a lot. I looked at the uh, chatter afterwards, yeah. and there was a lot of funny stuff. They were yeah. like, "Yes, we like M and M's. You better like M and M's, please." <laughs> Julie, what's next for you? What are you working on? Oh. <sighs> Well, uh, technically, I actually, the big thing in our lives right now is uh, my dad selling his house and he moved to Vermont and that has been all consuming. Um, but I am actually kind of focused these days on updating some of my Pluralsight courses. Nice. That like the domain driven design fundamentals. It's still really popular, but Steve Smith and I did that in like 2014, I think. Wow. So the concepts have not changed at all, but still, you know, we're using Visual Studio, we're using Entity Framework, we're, you know, using all the stuff that aged. So we're just, we're freshening that up and, and I'm going to do another. I wonder if some of the flows now are easier with the new tooling. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, the sample app is going to be in Blazor. Oh, neat. How cool is that? Mm-hmm. I won't be writing that part. <laughs> <laughs> cool. But, you know, the, the key about that, though, it's not like a C-sharp, you know, .NET entity framework, domain-driven design. We're just, you, those are just a means to an end, right? We're telling the story of DDD, uh, you know, making, helping people understand it, but still, you know, we're just freshening that up and I'm doing the same thing with another one of my courses, Entity Framework in the Enterprise. I did it with EF4. I redid it for EF6 and it's still a really popular course and it's important because um, it's, it's, you know, really advanced, like real world use of Entity Framework. So I'm going to recreate that one uh, using EF Core 5. So just, you know, modernizing that as well. And just sort of acknowledging the constraints that enterprises have, right? They, it's sort of an additional layer of rules you sort of Yeah, expect. well, you know, the getting started courses are really popular because people are getting started, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just 
baby steps and mm-hmm. demoware. So, you know, people know that I know a little more than just those baby steps thing and they, they want to learn about that. Uh, but, you know, um, I know a lot of people are doing virtual conferences and I just, I don't know. I've done mm-hmm. a few, um, but I just, I don't know. I'm I just you. haven't been doing it. I haven't been asking. I haven't been saying yes. I said yes to one, but then it uh, conflicted with my dad's closing and we're trying to empty his house out and everything. So I had to back out of that. Yeah. So are you guys doing virtual Richard conferences? Richard is virtual conferences right now. <laughs> Devin, your section did I mean, a virtual yeah. thing. and We did. We did a workshop. But, you know, we're also working hard on in, getting back oh. to in-person as mm. well. Right, right. So how how is Devin, your section, when is the – Next one. The next one is in June. Uh huh. Currently planned to be in person, but that's going oh. to be an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're sort of looking at the reality. If you ask me right today, you know, are we ready to go ahead? No, we're not. But we're yeah. still, there's still restrictions in Orlando. Right. Yeah. And uh, we have to, until those restrictions are lifted, we can't really proceed. But uh, it looks like they will be. So, but it is amazing. What people have been able to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the conferences—it's extraordinary. So we're, we're working on that, and I think everyone's pretty comfortable with Las Vegas in December of 2021 because yeah. they, they, there's very clear expectations that that, that uh, the pandemic should be well in hand by then. Yeah, but June's a little more challenging, but we're working on yeah. it. Trying yeah. to do trying to do the right thing, keep everyone safe, and uh, and have the experience that we want to have. Have you besides that? I mean, that's your big thing in Devinder section, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's my favorite. Obviously. I'm oh, not just saying that. I mean, you, you know, I mean, come on, I've been speaking for you guys for since time immemorial. Mm-hmm. Have you been doing other conferences? Well, I'm like always, at? yeah, I'm always involved with other shows. You know, all the conference organizers kind of know each other and we've all been checking in on yeah. these challenges one way yeah. or the other. And I certainly, uh, A, I still enjoy speaking and uh, set up a good studio rig at home for the past year. But you learn oh, a lot I've watching seen. how different people uh, make these presentations work. I've seen your, I've seen photos of your setup. <laughs> it's really impressive. <laughs> yeah, it looks like NORAD in here, but I like it that way. You know, That's, that's really cool. Well, I finally, I was using, you know, you couldn't buy new equipment for a yeah. while. So I had actually set up, I have an iPhone 11 and the camera on that's amazing. So yes. I had actually set that up as a webcam for a while. But then I finally got a, um, a Brio, Logitech Brio, which I really like a lot. But the you know, camera. got your yeah. camera and... The giant screen, giant screen. Yeah. I got one of them. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I've just been, I feel like I've just been under a rock, but, uh, you know, by my own design, I guess, you know. For sure. Yeah. Well, it's ending. Yeah. And so is this show, unfortunately. Julie, we could talk for hours and we probably should someday. (laughs) (laughs) For now, we got to. Yeah, for now we got to call yeah. a show, but thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and we always love. Oh, something. I love hanging out with you guys and talking nerd and jush and <laughs> bougie and <laughs> giggling. All right, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks.
Net Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...